0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this week we have plenty to cover. We're going to follow up on the fermentation happenings at the Good Food Festival in Chicago this last weekend, talk about some kombucha alcohol and warm weather fermented beverages, along with uh, talking about a few nut and custard yogurt experiments. All this and more in episode 57.
1: So Brandon, I finally made that bread we've been talking about, the country bread
0: the country bread has been made.
1: It has been made. And I have to say that um, at first I was a little nervous using the uh, sparkling cider that we were talking about last week and why we were using it and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I also, um, d- it took me about three days to make it from start to finish just because I got a little distracted during day two and forgot about it. And so put it back in the fridge and gave it another day um in the fridge to retard before I actually had time to bake it um but it was really good I, I really liked it except I do agree with you the apples were a little too big when I when I sliced them I thought they were pretty small but they it it just didn't really you get a really big chunk of apple when you eat the bread
0: yeah which actually didn't aesthetically look as bad as it did when it was in its dough form
1: mm-hmm, I agree with you yeah in the dough form it looked kind of funny
0: but yeah, the dough it was just weird and like looked I don't know like chunky brains or I, I guess not really but anyway it it was just it was weird but it it cooked okay I would say with mine it for one I actually forgot to uh bake it after we talked so I which was my plan and mm-hmm. then so it way over fermented I mean it was about triple or quadruple the size and it was just it had no more. No more going power or lifting power by the time that I actually did bake it. So I kind of had some, you know, pretty flat loaves and they were kind of the apples with all that added sugar kind of really altered the the fermentation as well. And, and so they were kind of like a, it was kind of like an off fermented apple flavor. It wasn't necessarily too enjoyable because it was probably a lot of sweetness from the apples that was counteracting the sourness that I was getting from the sourdough and it just didn't turn out well, and I can't blame it on the recipe because I didn't do things the way that I'd even planned. So I can't really say if it works or not. But for yours that you actually followed the recipe and it sounds like you did follow time correctly, you did like the taste then?
1: I didn't mind the taste. It was something that I would never – it's more of a bread that I would eat by itself with um, – I made like cinnamon butter to go with it, to put on top because I thought, oh, apples and cinnamon, that's a great combination. Um And, uh, I, I've had this really, I have a really bad habit of, of salting my food, even if it's already salted. Um, and I've crossed, I'm so bad that I've crossed over to salting things that should not be salted like bread. Um, so I salted it. Um, so it wasn't, I got that sweet salty flavor, which I really enjoy. Um, and I thought it. I thought it was pretty good for the most part. When I was making the bread and was using the sparkling cider, um, when I opened the refrigerator, it just smelled so delicious and like smelled like fall with the apples and everything like that. Um, so I really liked it.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that's the thing though too. Is it's definitely eh, apples make sense, kind of a fall type thing. So maybe I wasn't even in the mood for it at this this time, really wanting spring. But yeah, it was. It's definitely a little bit more of a, a sweet deserty type of bread anyway. And I think when I when I make uh, sourdough breads, I kind of like something that's a little bit more savory. But it was it was still okay. I mean, it, it was it was worth trying and worth screwing up. Because I will probably try it again the next time I have an abundance of apples. But it's not like it's something that I'm like, that I'm really excited to make right now.
1: Yeah, no, I really liked the process. And um, I learned a lot. I didn't really know this sounds really strange from a fermentation scientist. I didn't even think about the R- re- retardation that sounds like a terrible word to say the um fermentation that's happening in the fridge um dur- and i i wanted to spend some more time looking that up and learning more about that because i think that that really made my bread a lot more elastic um and it just gave it a little more time to create more rise and um it, I think that that whole, the process itself really helped me. So I think I'm going to use that same process and technique of putting it in the fridge when I make sourdough the next time and just see how that works. But, you know, omit the, the apples and the cider and stuff like that and see if that kind of helps with, because I've been having a lot of trouble with rising lately. Um, so I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. And then uh, someone sent us an article, or maybe it was you, um, about sparkling water and cooking.
0: Oh, Eric was the one that was uh, on on Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he mentioned potential reasons as to why it might be used, and it definitely got me reminded me that I needed to look that up because otherwise I wouldn't have even had a chance to. But I found an article in the Chicago Tribune about sparkling water lightning foods, and it's specifically talking about dumplings, crusts, and doughs. i mean, I still haven't enough time to dig deep enough. But yeah, the first thing that comes up is that we can help with the leavening process, but that only really lasts for about 15 minutes or so. And Mm -hmm. this is being added in the very beginning. So that's definitely not a part of it, but are the acids or anything else affecting it?
1: Well, yeah, and I read the article because um, it's something that I was really interested in and it's something we had to discuss because we were th- wondering why it was added at the beginning and maybe not the end because the carbon dioxide made sense for it to leaven a little more. Um, but but um, the article, they talked to a food scientist from the University of Illinois at Urbana and um, this food scientist Kevin Ryan, he said that not only does it create more rise, but it also helps the dough tenderize. So maybe that's why it was added at the beginning um, to help tenderize the bread. Because my dough, the the outside crust wasn't as crispy as I wanted it to be because our oven is a gas oven, uh, so I couldn't um, add really. I had forgotten. Long story long story short, I had forgotten to put in a pan of water to create a lot of steam and stuff before I put my dough in. So I just like kind of threw some water in there, and then I uh, afterwards I realized that I I forgot that we had a gas oven, um, and opened the oven, and the oven was completely like off dead. Um, so I had to restart it again. <laughs> so it wasn't the dough wasn't as crispy on the outside as I had wanted to, but the inside was really soft. Um, And that's probably due to the CO2 from the cider. And then it kind of had a little – it didn't really have an apple flavor to it um, that I was expecting. Um, But I think that that was one of the main reasons why the apple cider, the sparkling apple cider was used.
0: Yeah. I mean I still wonder how much – like I'd like to do some side-by-side tests If I was really like maybe again in the fall, maybe I'll be more interested in this in the fall. But I'd like to do more side by side tests to really see if it's the carbonation or just the cider itself that's causing more of the effect. Like do some apple cider and then some sparkling apple cider and do a few batches of those and see how they how they each turn out.
1: Yeah. And I was going to do that. um, But then it was kind of I just knew I, I just needed to make this bread and not really make it a science that kind of science experiment, but I thought about doing the same thing, just doing a side by side comparison to see if there was any difference. in um, I was, I didn't even know about the tenderization part of the CO2, but the, um, mostly the rise that was going to happen in the bread.
0: Yeah. It, and, uh, I kind of like this, this concept of, trying recipes that we just randomly find and talking about them before we've even made them. And then by the time we actually make them, we don't, then we finally figure out if it's actually good or not. So we've talked something up and now we kind of said that this is okay. So try it. But, um, no, I kind of like it though. I kind of like this, this, this way of doing things. It's fun.
1: Yeah. And it's, I I like doing it just because then it makes me, I mean, I always say I'm going to do some fermentations each week and then, things happen during the week and I never get around to it, but this makes me committed. Yes. so (laughs) I like that too.
0: (laughs) If I am actually interested in working more with bread and sparkling uh, water, just to just, just with sparkling liquid as opposed to sparkling cider, because that's a little sweet for me for the kinds of breads I like to make. So I actually, I mean, there's soda stream, there's all kinds of different carbonation uh, systems out there, but I've always been kind of held off from getting those because if I just want sparkling water, generally the CO2 cartridges really aren't that much different in price than the bottle of water. As far as I've kind of priced out, like it plus the equipment to start with, it just doesn't really even out to actually get it. So I did find on instructables.com, a carbonating the cheap and easy way using vinegar and baking soda in one bottle and the uh, plastic bottles, and then a tube running from through the tops to a second bottle. And that's where you have the water. And so you take vinegar, drop, like in toilet paper, even like wrapped, I think, so it disintegrates quickly. Some toilet Mm -hmm. paper, you wrap uh, baking soda in it and then drop it in and seal the lid real quick. So then the carbonation goes through the tube and ends up in the water and pressurizes it. And starting with cold water helps too, with getting that uh, nice and fizzy and some carbonation really cheap. The only thing is, is pay attention to what levels of vinegar a person is using because it could also explode.
1: Yeah, and I bet there'd be maybe if you use too much or you have to get the right amount of baking soda to vinegar, you might have carryover because sometimes that combination, it creates so much fizz that you'd have carryover through the tu- tube into maybe your carbonated water.
0: I still but, have to try it though. It's just, it's such a nice, inexpensive, fun experiment.
1: Yeah. And I I love carbonated water um, and I've thought the same thing about getting a soda- a soda stream which is one of those if no one knows what they are it's just a it kind of, it looks like a i don't want to say a coffee maker but it just sits on your counter it doesn't require any sort of cords but you have a special co2 cartridge that attaches to the back with a special bottle you fill it up with water and then it carbonates it for you but i just haven't i just don't i think there's cheaper ways to make like this but you just mentioned from instructables cheaper ways to make carbonated water at home than just to buy this device. I think it's cool that you can buy something like this, but I just, I would, I don't drink carbonated water enough that I don't think that I would really benefit from having an extra gadget in my kitchen. I would rather spend that money on something, some other type of gadget.
0: Yeah. It, it, well, it actually, speaking of the SodaStream too, uh Eric, uh, Eric Kassman, at Eric Kassman on uh, Twitter, he was talking also about uh, SodaStream might be missing a marketing opportunity with bakers regarding the tenderization of the dough. So
1: mm, that's true.
0: Keep that in mind.
1: Um, I are
0: marketing well, some soda streams.
1: Yeah. And I didn't think, I didn't even think about that, but, um, but I've, I was talking to, uh, my husband about having, cause we do drink a lot of, this is funny that we d- were discussing this. Now we do drink enough carbonated water that we're trying to find alternative ways of making it. So it's not so expensive to buy, um, You know, you go to um, Costco or to um, Sam's Club or something, and you get a huge, like, 50-pack or something like that. Like, that's the best way way we think that you can save some money and still enjoy your soda water. But I think we're going to, as soon as we make this kegerator, which is still on the list of things to do, um, I'm going to experiment with trying to make carbonated water that way, where you have a five-gallon Soda keg, cool it, and then pressurize it with you know CO two, same way that brewers would pressurize and carbonate beer. Same concept, same idea, except you're using water. So,
0: would there be any? What would the difference be if you were like if your kegerator was with uh, nitrogen?
1: Um, Nitr- it, nitrogen sparkling
0: water would that still sparkle or would it just be the head on the uh, like? Would no, it just you be would just
1: it the- would just be kind of fizzy on the top. Um, so like uh nitro is usually in the in the beer world those are i believe those are usually called cask beers um and they're the ones if you go to like a um a craft brewery or something usually most breweries or bars have these now but it it's kind of a funny looking machine that's attached to the bar itself um and you like pump it with your hand a few times kind of like if you're um it looks like one of those really old water pumping wells that you would see from like the 1800s where you have to go out with the bucket and you pump the water and then the water finally comes out and it's just... I, I don't really know if that's a good explanation of it. That works. Um, but that makes sense, right? It's, yeah, exactly. You've seen something like that before in pictures or maybe an old farm has it.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that I have well water. I'm glad I don't have to go out and do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be awful. But, um, but it kind of looks like that and that is... That cask beer, um, that same kind of device is hooked up to nitrogen, so it doesn't really give you a fizzy beer at all, like carbonated beer. Um, It just gives you like that really thick head, and it makes it like, in my mind, it's a lot creamier, like thicker. Um, So, what would
0: water be like, creamy water?
1: Yeah, I guess it'd be. If it went through nitrogen, I don't know if that'd be any good. If it was was good, maybe you'd be
0: hooked on that.
1: Maybe. I mean, I, water, I mean, it's worth a shot.
0: Water softness, hardness levels does changes the tactile feeling. I'm sure that nitrogen's got to do something at least. Well, at least, I wonder would it even really get much of a head like that? Would it really give even much frothiness at the top? It's water. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I guess oh, I it is. I don't think
1: it would get any. I don't think it would be frothy at all. Oh, there might be like some dissolved nitrogen inside of the beer or dissolved. Because that's what's what's happening with the CO2 is you're getting dissolved carbon dioxide in the beer. Sounds like if
0: anyone's listening know. that has uh, uh, any uh, nitrogen hooked up to their kegerator system or whatever, if you want to experiment with making nitrogen sparkling water, let us know.
1: Yeah, I'd like to know what happens because I, I never really thought of it the other way. If you use nitrogen, because it's not really like a common um, – I mean, it's – it's an old-fashioned type of brewing style, I believe, um, but I've never heard of anyone making nitrogen beer or really making it at home, like cask-style beer. It's usually – I've heard of it a lot around here um, with a lot of the craft breweries here. Um, that's kind of a big deal. They have, like, cask nights, and you can try all sorts of different kinds of cask or different styles of beer that's on cask. So, um,
0: well, it's also becoming popular in the the coffee industry with uh, iced coffee on tap and it's generally the nitrogen, but the nitrogen is really only the pressurization to get it through the tap more so oh. than, but it does provide a little head on the top from videos yeah. I've seen.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the main way of getting the beer out of the cask or out of the, the keg too, is through the nitrogen. Instead of using CO2, they use nitrogen and that creates the head and like that creamy texture. Um, velvet, it's, it's like very velvety too. Kind of like coats your tongue different than if you have, um, carbonated beer. Um, but I've never heard of it in coffee. I'm sure there's tons of places that do it. I've just never, I'd like to try that actually. That sounds delicious.
0: I think you can get some. I'll look it up and see where it might be out near you. There's nowhere locally. I don't think that's doing it here, but, but you'll have to let me know what it's like.
1: I will. Cause I mean, coffee already it, to me, coffee it should be. Thick and felt not like like really thick, but like velvety and coat your tongue a little bit and creamy and stuff like that. So
0: see, I don't like iced coffee too much. So that's the only thing that keeps me away from it. But maybe I'd like it more (laughs) if it was like that. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I'll let you know if I find any. I will report back about that.
0: (laughs) But something that I need to report back about was uh, going to the Good Food Festival this last weekend.
1: Yeah. How was that? Can you Tell us a little
0: bit about it. Well, it's actually, it was really good. There was a lot of fermentation going on. Uh, I'll put again the the blog post that I put about what kind of fermentation things were, were going on at the festival. There was just, there was a lot of fermentation going on and it was fun to teach a couple mini sessions, little 20 minute sessions on, on one on kimchi and one on heirloom yogurts. People seemed interested on it. I mean, it's kind of like in a common space, it's a public space. So people can kind of walk through that are going to the festival, going to look at all the the, um, the, the kind of the expo, uh, area and i still a decent amount of people would stop and, and listen and listen to for the whole thing. And other people would kind of just pass through. And it's just a nice way for people to be able to get some different ideas about things that they may not have thought of, but definitely the people that sat down right at the beginning were definitely the people that were there for those fermented things. So it's good to see people turning out for the fermentation. And then, uh, at the end of the day, it was finished it off with a, um, a, uh, collaborative, Sharing of information about, uh, uh, through a workshop on kombucha and fermented sodas with uh, Nasala kombucha, which is also here in the Madison area. So it was uh, nice to finally meet them because we're kind of like on the complete opposite sides of, of the Madison area. So it's, it was nice to meet them even though we had to go to Chicago to do so. And
2: well,
1: I mean, sometimes that, even though you have to leave the country or not the country, but like leave the state, that's kind of how you meet people too. It's really weird. You have like that same commonality of being from the same place.
0: Exactly. And the it, it, word is that they're, they're open to the idea of uh, talking shop on the show sometime soon. So maybe I'll head over to their, their brewery and get some information from them and they can share kind of what they, what, what they do and what their life is like having been making kombucha for the last, I think eight years or so.
1: Wow. That's, that's really awesome. And yeah. um, do, do, can you only buy their kombucha in their brewery or is it bottled and you can buy it in the store?
0: It's bottled. It's regional. So it's, uh, well, actually, if you look at the how to make a SCOBY on, uh, on the blog area of Firm Up, uh, it's, I'll put that in the show notes as well at firmup.com slash podcast slash 57. And that was actually made with a bottle of their, that was grown from a bottle of their, their kombucha. So it's, it's nice having a local kombucha like that, that, you know, it's nice and Nice and resilient, healthy, lots of microbes, not overly filtered. So it's, it's great. And I've, I've worked with that before and drank it. It's so it's, it is regional though. So it's only in this, this area. And um, so I don't think you'll be able to find any anytime soon, but I didn't even realize they'd been around for so long. Um, or or, like they've pretty much, I mean, eight years, that's pretty much at the beginning of kombucha becoming popular or even becoming like known as a, as a commercial product.
1: Yeah. I didn't even know about I bet I, I learned about kombucha maybe like four or five years ago, and I'm not saying that I'm the epitome of what's cool and what's not cool, but um, to me it was just like, what? What is this? This is so strange. I've never heard of anything like this before. Um, no, I'm looking at their map on their website, and it yeah, it looks like it's only they have a lot in Milwaukee and Chicago, but. And, and, and of course in Madison, but not nothing really close to my neck of the woods. Finally, something
0: that's awesome out this way that you don't have, (laughs) I mean, not that it's a competition or anything, but, um, but anyway, I did actually, uh, talk to some people as well, like presenters and, uh, also this awesome fermented hot sauce, uh, co-op sauce. And so I figured, again i'm i'm not really that used to doing these in the field recordings but i figure it's a good way to start trying and, and and working on that that side of things too so that we can actually get people out when they're out in the public and and talking about these things anyway getting them uh to talk on the get a little recording on the show so i did actually record a little bit so i figure we might as well listen to that now sure
2: I'm Andrea Madsen with Edible Alchemy, and today at the Food Fest, I'm teaching classes on fantastic fermentation, making kimchi, making sauerkraut, cortito, and all the like. We've been a part of the Good Food Festival for four or five years, I believe. We started tabling for Angelic Organics Learning Center, and then the past two years, we've had our own booth, and the other years, we've come and assisted other people. So we've been involved in some respect for the past four years. It's been great. It's changed a lot after, oh, over the past four years. There's many more workshops and there's many more ways for the people to engage with ideas, with concepts, with, with these DIY things that you can do at home. And there's a lot more fermentation this year, I believe, because of last year's Kimchi Challenge. There's a lot of people who took ideas from last year did them all at home, expressed interest in teaching these workshops. We saw that people were interested in this and offered to teach these workshops with things that they've been doing over the past year. So it's really surfaced in all different ways, not just kimchi this year. There's yogurt, kefir, sodas, kombucha, sourdough, cheese, goat cheese, regular kimchi, everything you can think of. So through Edible Alchemy, our mission is to connect the community to food. We find that there's a big disparate entity between these two and it's really awesome to be able to connect people through food we do that through workshops underground dinners our food co-op that we do every single week and any other way we can think of such as festivals like this so i've been teaching workshops on fermentation on diy body care on vegetarian cooking on cooking basics on a lot of ways that people don't necessarily think to connect the dots in order to create healthy food for themselves at home
3: my name is April Morris, and I'm with Angelic Organics Learning Center. I was teaching how to make goat's milk cheese using
0: bacterial inoculant. With this particular cheese, chevre, to get a pure chevre, it has to be low temperature and over a period of time, so the fermentation is allowed to happen naturally. If we were to bring the temperature up, we'd be pasteurizing the milk, and then it would be a whole different cheese. At Angelic Organics Learning Center, we also have a live culture in the kitchen fermentation class, and we do sauerkraut, yogurt, creme fraiche... We're a farm that tries to teach people how to do things from the garden, from the farm field to the kitchen without having to buy a lot of different kinds of equipment. And fermentation is really good and healthy for you, and it's pretty
3: easy to do. My name is Mike Bancroft with Co-op Sauce and Sauce and Bread Kitchen. We've been making Co-op Hot Sauce for about eight years. It started as a fundraiser for a youth arts education not-for-profit that has been around for 11. The kids are actually employed in the production of the sauce, and half of our profits still go back to that NGO. We do a lot of wild-fermented stuff. Anne does a lot of sourdoughs for her bread, for the kitchen for sauce and bread, and then Co-op Sauce is probably 90% wild-fermented lactobacillic, good times. Sometimes our recipes are informed by what it is that we get from Harvest, and so this was kind of a mishmash of eight different peppers that we had put together for one single sort of final fermentation. They fermented for four months and then it's actually finished with miso. And we actually make our own miso, but this isn't, this isn't our own miso. But we do our own aspergillus good times too. Well,
1: that was really interesting. I uh, really liked the talk from um, or the little snippet from Angelix Organics where she was talking about how she um, makes goat cheese.
0: There was another cheese making thing. I couldn't really interview them because they were using just uh, the direct acidified cheese making process. So it was nice. It was like, hey, there's a beginning cheese making course, but it's using cultures. So it was great
1: yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I would have loved to have sat there and just listened to her talk some more about um how to make goat cheese because there's I know there's lots of different ways of doing it, and um I've made it before, but you know not the the true fermentation style that you know you would use to make goat cheese. It was more of the acidified chemical conversion type of thing. Um, so i would have I would have really enjoyed that. Um, plus soft cheeses are delicious and they 're really easy to make and it doesn 't really take that much time it 's just you know the same amount of hands on time as maybe making yogurts you know a day two days you have goat cheese,
0: oh yeah. Yeah, they were every everything was great, and I mean, there was I'm sure plenty more people that I could I couldn't talk to because either. I had things going on at the same time, or just just ran out of time. So there was a lot of again a lot of fermentation at a good food festival. I mean, it makes sense because fermentation is so good. So it makes sense that it would be part of something like that. And and it's nice to see that there are people able to uh, make a, a business out of fermented foods.
1: Yeah, and I I did want to mention um, two other things that that you had that, that was in your little episode or your little piece there. Um, but it's cool to know that in the past four years, like it's not, I wouldn't say exploded. That wasn't the term that they used it, that Andrea used, but, um, that, you know, you can definitely see that fermentation has become a larger part of the good food festival than it was a few years ago. And then, um, I also really liked the fermented hot sauces. Um, the co op hot sauce. Um, I don't remember the person who you interviewed, his name, um, but I really like that idea of involving kids in fermentation and that sort of thing too.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike's hot, hot sauces were awesome. I actually, well, I, uh, the one that I did try, the uh, mystery one, I cannot remember which one it is, but I'll put a link in the show notes about. His hot sauces. I was actually really surprised by that one. I liked it a lot. It had like a good amount of heat, but not too much and offered the complexity and flavor, not just that like biting vinegary kind of flavor mm-hmm. in some hot sauces. And I really enjoyed. And so I I don't know, since I knew about it before I tried it, I really enjoyed the the concept of putting miso in there as well. But Yeah, I don't that's know. really
1: interesting because I've never heard of that before.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was great. And I, I was just, I, I mean, talking talking with him, I mean, it was it was exciting. I mean, I, I'm hoping to have him on the show too, along with some of these other people I talked to because uh, he's doing all kinds of fermentation and was talking about some drinking vinegars that he's, he's working on. And uh, the interesting thing with that was when I think drinking vinegar, I think of shrub. And so I think of, you know, a sweetened vinegar beverage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And instead, he, he's talking about just mildly... Uh, acidic kind of uh, drinking vinegars that don't need sugar or that aren't meant to have sugar. And they work well with mixed drinks too, but they're not sweetened. So I'm definitely interested in that because, you know, sometimes even my kombucha is a little sweeter than I'm in the mood for. And sometimes I just like that sour kind of thing. Although with you not liking your sour beers, you probably wouldn't like drinking vinegars
1: either. Um, yeah, maybe not. I mean, it's worth a shot. I'm willing to try anything. Um, so we, if that, it sounds really interesting. I'll, I'll give it, if if it comes my way, I'll give it a, I'll give
0: it a go. Well, we'll get, we'll get Mike on the show and then have him talk about all the, all the kinds of fermentation. I mean, he, he makes his own Koji and does all these uh, other awesome uh, ways of incorporating fermentation in uh, I'm assuming into his business. And, um, and then he's been doing this for a long time. So it'd be great to be able to get him on the show and, and talk. And also some of these other people, I mean, it, it sounds like people are, are interested in being on the show and sharing what they've got to share and just talking shop and talking about fermentation. I mean, Come on. So if anyone does fermentation, it's it's hard not to want to just get excited and talk about it.
1: Yeah. So how did your segments go? Did you have a lot of people show up and ask questions and um, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, it was good. I mean, like I was talking, like the public mini ones, I mean, they're, they're a little bit smaller. It's just like a, you know, there's only a, a, like t- t- five or like 10 seats probably that are like five, 10 seats. I don't know, somewhere in there uh, for actual seats. And then some people stand behind there. And uh, again, kind of like a come and go kind of thing if, if people want, but yeah, the people that were there for the actual things, they had good questions. They were interested in it. And uh, I always like it when people are interested in trying heirloom yogurt, since that's just, I mean, I started with yogurt and it just has a, a special place in my heart for, <laughs> for these, these yogurts and getting more people to do them because it's not something that most people know about. So I liked that. And Also with the fermented soda, uh, that people had great questions there and seemed interested and, uh, it's, it was, it was great. I was again, like, it was great to, to meet Vanessa and Allah with uh, Nasala, and, uh, do that workshop. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds like fun. I'm sorry that I wasn't, I couldn't make it or be there. Um, How dare you not come um, halfway
0: across the country.
1: Sorry. I would have, if I had known about it in advance, I would have made a trip out there. Um, since- you, well,
0: maybe you'll be able to cover the Good Food Festival in California. I don't know where it is in California.
1: Hmm. But there yeah, is, I mean, it's part that of, up.
0: if you go to Good Food Festivals, maybe, or maybe it's just festival.com, and then you can uh, you can see where the next one's going to be.
1: I'll look it up right now. Yeah. Um, well, in, in the
0: meantime, while you're looking at that too, uh, just some other things speaking of, of fermented drinks and whatnot I mean there was the, I, I saw this I, I seen it before but it, it was another article on a kombucha ale so a, a, in in draft magazine they had one uh, there's a New York guy that's making uh, that has a business called beyond kimchi and he's this kombucha ale so taking it into the more alcoholic realm uh, because back when the federal re- regulations required that anything over 0.5 percent alcohol was going to re- require a, a alcohol taxation and license he decided to do both he's like well if i i like my kombucha a little bit stronger so then i'm just going to make one that's five to six percent uh alcohol as well so it sounded kind of kind of interesting mava roca was the one one of them that he makes
1: i think that's a really good idea because it is not that it's hard to keep the alcohol level down because you that you just don't have yeast in there or as much yeast um and you know just the Anyway, um, I think it's a really good idea to kind of have that second option to have an alcoholic type of um, kombucha available to people.
0: Yeah, especially since it's it's different, it offers a different flavor profile and it really doesn't, I mean, all of these kind of beverages don't, uh, yes, there's alcohol, but it doesn't have to be about the alcohol content as much as the, the flavor profile just changes when you add more alcohol and and more fermentation into it. It's just going to change the flavor profile. So it's not even necessarily about getting people wasted on kombucha, just more, it's like, it's a different, it's going to make the kombucha taste different. I mean, it's a, it's a alcoholic beverage made with tea, sweetened tea.
1: Yeah. Um, and it might be, I'd, I, I, you know, kombucha is slightly a little sour. So adding that alcohol in there too, might give it a different, not only is it going to give it a different flavor profile, but it may make that sour even stronger, um, because of the pH and everything more intense. So, so again, you uh, might I think not, it's really, you might I'm, not
0: like it because of, it might be more like a sour beer.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll try it. i
0: But speaking of sour beers, it makes me think of the fermented man. And he actually just had a photo recently posted about a kombucha with tropical fruit juice blend. And he was saying that it was delicious or awesome or something along those lines. So that's another way to mix up some kombucha with things. And, uh, and then also like sticking with the drink side of things, um, over at uh, Amanda over at fickle.com had a preserved lemonade, um, which I have made before uh, when it was much warmer than it is now. I'm very surprised that even in Philadelphia, she's making lemonade at this time, but Hey, she's hopeful thinking that it's going to be warmer soon. I'm assuming because, because using preserved lemons, it's a Vietnamese style lemonade. And uh, the interesting thing with her recipe is she's using water kefir as the the sweetened addition which might actually make me like waterkeeper a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of waterkeeper but I definitely want to try this recipe because I love lemonade and homemade The Homemade lemonade is so delicious. Um, So I like this little twist on it.
0: Preserved Um, lemons using mm -hmm. that, that total, it's the best kind of lemonade I've ever had. And I didn't actually notice. uh, Oh, yes. It says salty lemonade in the title. So I'm assuming that it is because just that um, because it it has that the saltiness in the preserved lemons and it just it's the best lemonade I've ever had.
1: Well, I mean, I I don't know hers, but. Yeah, at least I, I mean, I admitted this earlier, but that I've kind of been on this like salty kick, like really bad salty kick lately. But, um, I bet that would just be delicious, just salty lemonade on a hot day. Um, I mean, it's been rather warm here. So, um, when I read that today, I thought, man, that would have been really great today if I could have had some salty lemonade sat outside on my porch.
0: <laughs> well, do you have any preserved lemons?
1: No, so I would have to start there. So I better start making it now, so that you know it's only going to get warmer. Yes, I thought that,
0: You know what, I will definitely. Uh, Amanda is not only uh, having uh, wishful thinking or hopeful thinking; she's also thinking ahead because if anyone wants to make this, they are going to need to start their preserved lemons quite a few weeks ahead. So um, definitely. Yeah, and a I good think timing. in
1: her, and I think she even wrote in um, part of part of the post was she was she's doing it in the hopes of like um not only warm weather coming to Philly but also it just looks sunny and bright and just makes you kind of happy so just to <laughs> just to throw that out there too just to, it'll just make you happy lemonade
0: so if you have preserved lemons just sitting in the refrigerator or somewhere or in your cellar get them out smile it's going to be warm soon
1: i hope i mean i hope i've i've just been following the weather that you guys have been having out there east of the Mississippi and it just sounds awful. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just a long winter. It'll be over soon. That was the one hard thing about doing a uh, talk on fermented soda was that I'm just, I don't really make a whole lot of fermented beverages besides kombucha in the winter. It's just, I don't have that desire for a sweetened carbonated beverage in the same, like uh, mostly the sweetened side of things. It's like, it just, it does it that that speaks spring and summer to me. So it's a good, it was good timing because it's like it's a great time to start these kind of things and um yeah, it's just it's it's tough for me to get excited about those yet because this weather just keeps bringing me down.
1: It just keeps dragging on. You think it's going to be over and boom, you guys get hit with another snowstorm. Um but no, I totally agree with you. I I don't think that summer summer beverages are supposed to be Light and you know a little bit of tart, sour, kind of like that whole lemonade thing, um, and I love that kind of stuff, but not in the winter. And I don't really do a lot of fermented beverages in the winter for the same reason, because in my mind, it just doesn't really—they don't taste as good.
0: No, winter, winter fermentation is 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 to me is is miso and uh, and, and yogurts and all kinds of fermented dairies. That's kind of what I think of a lot when I when mm-hmm. I think winter. well
1: much hardier Hardier ferments that um, can not only withstand the cold temperatures but just make fill you up or make you feel fuller longer yeah um, well that's yeah, well just yeah what I, I think of.
0: I realize I left out all the fermented vegetables which is definitely a winter thing so yeah it's it's yeah ferment winter is definitely a time for fermentation, but it's more like the the things that had to be preserved to last a winter. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's ancestral roots, like just, it feels wrong, even though I can preserve things whenever I want them and have them whenever I want them in today's technological advances. It's like, still, I just, I still kind of want to go with the seasons a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, people ask me all the time what my favorite wine is, um, all the time. And I never have a really good answer for that because it's all dependent on the weather. And I think that the weather really affects my train of thought and, like, what I feel like eating or drinking. Because in the summer, give me, like, champagne or, you know, like a nice, light white wine. But in the winter, those just don't sound good at all. Even at New Year's, like, champagne just doesn't even sound that great. Um, Because all I want to do is drink, like, hearty, dark, heavy red wines. And the same with beer. I mean, I love – like dark beers, but only in the winter.
0: That makes uh, that that seems fitting enough. That seems, uh, well then pop quiz off topic, probably a topic we could talk about completely uh, in a, in a future episode, but uh, just made me think of instead of seasons, what about mood? Like when you're in a down mood, what's your, what's your go-to ferment? If you were to even have one.
1: Hmm. That's a really hard question. Um,
0: clock is ticking. Come on.
1: Oh no probably uh red wine <laughs> that sounds terrible but <laughs> just like a wine like or a beer would make you because it kind of makes you it kind of lifts your spirits you know the whole alcohol thing makes you feel better um but food like if i was to eat something um bread bread always makes me feel better i can't pass up bread
0: so you're so. not like a a tub of ice cream kind of person
1: no no i've never been the tub of ice cream kind of person <laughs> well if you
0: were then you could start you know experimenting with some like you know uh frozen fermented and- fermented frozen yogurts and different yeah. things like that
1: yeah i think oh we will we talked about this a few months ago because you were t- you were experimenting with different types of frozen yogurts that you were making um for your son i can't remember what you were i doing. was
0: actually making them for the or experimenting with them for uh the cookbook and whatnot
1: Oh, okay. Um,
0: I think that was pre, pre-exposure of it actually being like the mad scientist in the kitchen going crazy uh, oh, working on that. Okay. So I was just kind of talking about it. Not exactly. It was like, huh, now that I'm talking about this, it's kind of weird that I'm making ice cream in the middle of winter. But hey.
1: I kind of thought that. But then I thought, well, whatever. I mean, to each their own. I mean, what? Maybe you really like ice cream all the time. It like was my-
0: really good even in the winter, though.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean that to me is also kind of a summertime thing, like frozen yogurt or ice cream. I don't really eat a lot of that kind of stuff, um, just because. Not that I'm like, ooh, that's bad for you. Um, it's just like something I'm not really. I don't know. Doesn't satisfy me as much as bread or like bagels or something that has like really like car carbohydrates and stuff like that. That makes me feel. That, that fills me up and makes me feel really good, whereas ice cream doesn't really do that same thing. But anyway, I digress there for a second. Um, ice cream or yogurts, definitely going to play around with those this summer. Oh, yeah. there's I don't know. It's just kind of fun to – I see or hear about people making all of these fun yogurts. Um, and you even sent us a link for pistachio yogurt.
0: Yeah, I actually have quite a few links. I don't know if you saw all those ideas and food for the last little while has been experimenting with different kinds of yogurts and like a pistachio yogurt with um, a milk and pistachio blend. So it's not like a nut milk yogurt, It's but it's pistachios and milk mm-hmm. with with uh, being backslopped with yogurt and then inoculated and uh, incubated. Sounds I think good.
1: That would, I think that would be great like right around now because it's still – it's kind of getting warmer and that pistachio isn't um, – it's to me, it's not as the same type of refreshing flavor as maybe like vanilla yogurt or vanilla ice cream. Um, but it's still good enough. It's kind of fits into that hearty winter feel too. Cause here in, in, even in the summer, it, it might be really hot during the day, but at night it cools down a lot. And that's the time to, I think that would be really good.
0: It's very intriguing. So you find vanilla to be refreshing. I think more fruits, like a fruit, yeah, think, uh, fruit yog- or fruit ice cream or or cultured cream frozen cultured cream
1: No, I'm more of a just a plain old vanilla that's a kind of frozen yogurt person
0: yeah, that's 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 okay I mean the the one thing I did try that was a complete flop that I really thought might work, kind of being inspired by Vietnamese lemonade salty lemonade was using preserved lemons to make a a sorbet. That did not work.
1: Oh, really? Oh, that's sad because that sounds really good.
0: Well, I mean, I probably could have kept working at it. But in the couple times that I was working with it, it was just like both times it was like, no, this is not worth continuing on with because I think I was just using I had I would have needed to just figure out some other way to uh, not have as much like it needed to be like a hint of preserved lemon, I think. And otherwise It it was just like salty frozen stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Then I bet it was kind of chunky, too, with the salt.
0: No, it because- was, no, no, no. It was nice. And like, I mean, because it was just the salt was just coming from the preserved lemons, So it was like, uh, it was just the preserved lemons just didn't. I, I don't know. Maybe preserved lemons just don't taste as good frozen.
1: Hmm. That's really sad.
0: I might experiment. I might bring that one up again and just do like a, a recipe on the blog at some point uh, if I can get it to work. But I gave up on that. I, did, I mean, I, my my deadline was was too tight to really like work on anything that didn't show any hope. So,
1: yeah. Oh, well, that's sad. I hope it, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll play around with it too this summer and maybe we can perfect it.
0: There's gotta be a way to make it work because preserved lemon does taste. I mean, maybe it'd be a mixture of because maybe the freezing aspect does change the flavor profile of the preserved lemon that a little preserved lemon, a little fresh lemon There's, I mean, there's plenty of different ways that a little bit of experimentation could probably come up with something good. Mm hmm. I mean, it's kind of like again these ideas in food blog posts. Like they're the the other ones were a cultured panna no cotta. and I'm assuming I don't actually know uh, panacotta. Does the the cotta refer to cooking?
1: I'm not sure. I've only I've had panacotta before, but maybe less than a handful of times. Okay. Um, so I don't
0: know if they're just using a play on words that the cotta doesn't necessarily mean that, but panacotta no they're not cooking any of... They're not bringing anything to a boil. They're just mixing the milk, cream, sugar, non-fat milk powder, salt, vanilla, and yogurt, and pureeing it in a blender and then incubating it. So maybe someone else knows better what the kota stands for. And maybe the no kota makes more sense. But I do know it's that because they're not boiling it. But that's another one that that would be good.
1: Yeah, that would be... That tasted... Sounded good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And again, these are experiments, ideas in food. They experiment with a lot of different things and they don't always turn out perfect, but it's still nice when they share because like the failed preserved lemon sorbet that I was trying to make. I mean, maybe someone else will be spurred to actually making one that actually tastes good. So the uh, cultured custard was another one they had with uh, eggs and then and, and uh, eggs and dairy and then inoculating it and incubating it. That's one that I'm or egg yolks. I believe that's one that's a little bit more interesting. I guess I've had egg in sourdough, like hamburger buns that is fermented for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that they're using the thermophilic yogurt. So they have it. I mean, while well, I know that they're, they're using a 110 degree Fahrenheit incubation, what would, would there be any concern? Do you think in having an egg yolk at that temperature or uh, is most of the concern in the egg white or is, am I just being weird in one of the few things that I think of leaving out being not as safe? Am I wrong?
1: No, I think eggs are totally fine to eat nowadays Um, because you, you're concerned about salmonella. and
0: I'm not actually eating. concerned because I'd still do or, it and I'd still try it. But I just that's like one thing that like I think that's the only thing that's ever really stood out to me in, in the past. Like one thing to fear is like raw eggs. But then, of course, I've always eaten raw cookie dough. So it's not actually something that I have a concern of. But whenever I see it, I always
1: have to think about it at least. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any sort of real concern wh- when it comes to eating uncooked eggs, um, especially in something like this, because it's probably heating it enough for um, a specified amount of time to kill any sort of salmonella that might be in the eggs. But I do know that they breed, they, chicken farmers, breed um, chicken so that I don't know how they do it. Um they lay salmonella-free eggs, so a lot of the eggs that we buy at the grocery store are salmonella-free, and you can eat them raw. It's not encouraged, but um, well, you can still do it.
0: Well, and I feel pretty comfortable eating the eggs from my hens in the backyard. I feel pretty comfortable having those too. But uh, you know, and I and I I feel more even more comfortable working with them, be that good or not they're not salmonella free and well they they probably are relatively salmonella free but they're not made that way but uh yeah it's um i don't know why that's always something that's kind of stood out to me but again i don't have any fear of it really but it's always brings up a red alert and it's just i guess from childhood hearing those kind of things and i guess yeah like you're talking about they are cooking it a little bit as a custard and then they're not then they're incubating it and salmonella i don't even know is it would it even at those thermophilic temperatures would it even be able to Prosper even if it was still in there? Probably not.
1: No, I don't think so. I think that um, – well, you said they they were probably cooking at 110. Actually, that might be too low. I think salmonella is killed at like 165 Fahrenheit. But killed
0: versus proliferate. Wouldn't those two be different? Like wouldn't the yogurt culture get so much stronger anyway in that in like four or five hours in theory? Or am I just not quite thinking correctly?
1: Mm, well, I think – no, I think that even if – I mean, I know that salmonella poisoning, you only really need like one or two a low amount of cells, like 10 – I'm going to say 10. Um, I'll look it up because I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, but okay. you don't really need a lot of cells to actually get salmonella poisoning. It's one of those things like if it's there, you're going to get it versus um, – it it doesn't the concentration has can be really low.
0: So then let me ask you this: Can it stand any kind of acidity? Because once the thermophilic yogurt begins to acidify the substrate with that, then wipe it out. You,
1: you know that might wipe it out. The acidity. I don't know how sensitive they are to pH changes, but they definitely have a, a standard pH that they can thrive in um, and an optimal pH. Um, but I don't remember what it is. I bet if it's below 4.2 then cuz that's kind of what we said a long time ago that that's kind of the standard if it's below this pH nothing's nothing pathogenic's going to grow cuz they can't because of the pH um I I bet they if it's the P, if the pH is lower than that value then you're fine and you shouldn't have any sort of concern about eating raw eggs
0: Sweet then I will definitely try I mean I would try it anyway and I guess it's even kind of uh, misdirection to even question it. I just, I guess it's the one thing that comes up because I would, I would definitely still try it and, and, you know, live on, live on the wild side a little bit. Not that I want salmonella poisoning or anyone listening to this ever have it, but at the same time, you know, it's a cultured custard. That sounds awesome.
1: That sounds really good. And salmonella, they have drugs that you can take at the hospital. You'll be fine. It's that (laughs) botulism that you have to be concerned about.
0: There you go. Yeah. So there's there's not really too much issue. And and if if a person doesn't want any of that, like the of the last one that I've seen so far in this progression of the ideas in food working with uh, cultured creams of sorts is a sunflower seed yogurt, and that one did look like it was just honey roasted sunflower seeds and yogurt. Uh, Well, a yogurt as the inoculant, but it was just honey roasted sunflower seeds that were pureed and then inoculated with yogurt and then strained because it did still have some separation of a way of sorts.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the picture looks really pretty, um, but I just don't know if I would like And the honey part sounds really interesting, but I don't really care for sunflower seeds.
0: Not even roasted? Um,
1: No, not roasted. I'm, I'm a weirdo. I didn't, I guess, go to enough baseball games. Um, when I was little to really enjoy sunflower seeds. Oh,
0: is that where people um, get
1: them at? I don't know. That's kind of where we always, I guess I just assume or associate sunflower seeds with baseball.
0: You've been I mean, baseball a, games than me, then I guess
1: maybe I that's the Indiana baseball. thing.
0: Okay. No, <laughs> I don't know. I probably, you're probably, I, I assume that you probably have a better idea of that than I do.
1: I don't know, but I just never really cared for them when I was little and I've just never really tried them, I guess. And as an adult, um, so I think I think the honey part of this recipe sounds really intriguing, but not the sunflower seeds.
0: Okay. So take out the part about the sunflowers and just focus on the honey, the roasted, and yogurt.
1: See, that sounds good.
0: So maybe you wouldn't even have much of that sunflower-y kind of taste by the time you uh, it sours a little bit. And again, honey and roasted. Roasted honey. Just roasted honey yogurt. Just look at it that way. And it's a dairy-free product.
1: That's true. Well, and then here in the little, in the caption, it says that it's sweet and nutty and rich. Um, See, and not, sunflower-y. Not, not sunflower-y. They're not saying
0: sunflower seeds. They're saying nutty.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Maybe I'll try it.
0: And uh, follow up with us. Next week, we expect response as soon okay. as possible.
1: I will try my best to get to this sunflower seed yogurt.
0: And don't forget about that water, kimchi.
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I have not started or done anything.
0: It's OK. We won't add. I mean, wasn't it wasn't about three weeks before we actually got to the bread.
1: Yeah. So in in about a month, we'll have the kimchi, the water kimchi done.
0: Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe eventually we'll get on a, some kind of schedule. Or if people just start bugging us about not actually doing them in on a timely manner. But until then, about once a month, we'll well, I, that might even be too much commitment. But right now, that's kind of looking where it's at.
1: Yeah, we'll just keep everyone posted and we'll we'll be sure to do what we we will do what we say we're going to do.
0: Beat us to it, too. Post it on our uh, uh, Facebook or email it to us or different stuff, too. We'd, we'd be happy to share your experiences before we've even experienced it. Um, because then maybe that'd get us a little bit more motivated, too. Not not that there's a lack of motivation. Just, uh, I guess, forgetfulness sounds like it's what you had with your water kefir. Or not, uh, water, water kimchi. Water oh, my kimchi? Water kimchi that you haven't made that you forgot. That I even forgot how to you. Well,
1: I forgot. I forgot about it because I was too busy... Conc- being concerned about the bread that we had to make okay. <laughs> but it's on my list it's next it's it's you know on deck
0: all right well we will uh follow up on where what what part of the deck it's on next week and uh, again if anyone does want to beat us to it uh, or have any other comments or questions send them to Firm up, or no, send them to podcast at firmup.com or on Twitter at firmup, Facebook at firmup, or anywhere else firm up. And until next time, firm up!